What a powerful word from God, from Bree. And I just love her courage and that she just uh, feels like we're just home and she can just share with us and, and know us. That's what I love about you, Community of Faith. It's just such a, an accepting place and such a, a great place to step into a relationship with Christ. And we've just seen so many different people do that. I was, last week, I didn't get to be with you because Laura and I were over at Champion Forest Baptist Church where my dad was a pastor for 28 years. And uh, they were honoring my mom and my dad over there. And it was just this really cool thing to see the legacy that he had left uh, among those people and among that, that staff. And, uh, you know, we've got a legacy here too at Community Faith. One of the things we've done is we've sent people out all over the globe, and I want you to meet someone who's going to be a missionary in the UK for the next year, and that's Mackenzie Stark. Mackenzie, come up here. As she's coming up here, I want those of you who would be willing to pray for her regularly over this next year, if you would stand, those of you who'd be willing to do it. Now, don't forget, if you stand, you got to do it, all right? Stand up. Great. Fantastic girl. I'm so proud of you. Um, she's going to be at Stockton on Tees in the far northeast of England, and she's going to be working with young people there over this next year. So uh, let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for Mackenzie as I've watched her from just a little bitty girl growing up in this church, and I've seen you work in her life, and I know, God, that you've got such good plans for her. I pray that you would uh, just join all of our prayers together, and that you would impact your kingdom there. I know that it's such a dark place. It's a beautiful place, but it's a dark place that uh, only 2% call themselves believers. And I just ask that as she's there, that you would use her in this. Come kingdom of God upon Mackenzie, upon this year in her life, upon Stockton, on Tees. Be done, will of God in these things. And we claim that together as your church. And there's power in our prayers as we pray. Thank you that it's going to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mackenzie, we're so proud of you, girl. (laughs) Mackenzie's parents have been on staff with us almost from the very beginning. And uh, it's just been fun to watch a lot of these little ones. Now, as I've been here 18 years, you know, to watch them grow up and, and send them out all over the globe. You know, one of the things that we felt last week was just loved. And when I think about love, we all need that right now, don't we? You know, it's like we're coming again to school starting. Some things are changing. Some of you are sending your kids off to college for the very first time or maybe to kindergarten for the very first time, depending on where you are in these different life stages. And we've still got all the uncertainty that comes with this whole variant, you know. I love that they call it a variant, right? It's varying all around us, you know, and it's like we keep saying, God, what are you doing? What's, what, what's going on? And I, I thought that, you know, even in our homes, we, maybe we need a little love checkup. And so I wanted to talk about that just a little bit this morning. How are we doing? How are we doing in this regard? You know, they call us the United States, but we're anything but united right now, Right. In fact, historians are telling us that we're more divided than we've ever been since the Civil War, which is not very encouraging to me. Um, But we do see that. And I think that not only, it's gotten to the point where we can't even listen 
to each other. We're not hearing each other. Kind of reminds me, I was on a little school board of a Christian school one time, and, and another school board member and I, we had a disagreement over policy. And he said, well, I've prayed about it, and I know it's God's will, what I'm saying. And then that kind of left me looking like, well, the devil and I think, you know, I didn't know what to say at, at that point because, you know, there wasn't any discussion. And so I just want us to be careful about, you know, throwing spiritual things around casually when there's some things we need to be able to really talk about and, and really hear from each other about. But I thought to myself, where would Jesus be on, on these things? What, what would he be about what is it that God wants from us in this time? And, you know, Jesus answered that question for us because a guy came to him one time and said, Jesus, what's the main thing God wants? What is he most interested in? The way he put it was this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six: Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law of all the Bible? What is it that God's most interested in us doing? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is literally saying here that if you do these two things, you are doing what the Bible asks you to do. So I think it's important to kind of dig into that a little bit. We understand quite a bit about, we've talked a lot about what it means to love God, but what does it mean to love your neighbor? And this guy went on to say, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a story that basically says your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with as you take this journey through life, whether it's your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or or even on the other side of the globe, the Batwa Burundi that you've become acquainted with through our church, this week, they've become our neighbors. The little children in Diriamba, Nicaragua, we just had a group come back from there that was reaching out and making a difference in their lives. And they're our neighbors now, the, the, the friends that we have made through our trips to Haiti, and, and, and they're our neighbors. He said, these are your neighbors, so how do we love them well? How do we do this to really love, we've got to understand a couple of principles. The first one is what I call the principle of separate realities. And psychology talks about this. You know, I always like to see, does this thing that psychology is talking about, does it line up with scripture? Because psychology can be dead on in some things, and then it can be off in some other areas. But on this particular thing, dead on, separate realities. God made us that way. He made us so that each of us live in this body and we kind of live in our own head, right? That's where we come up with what life is and what it's all about. We're not like honeybees. We don't have like a hive mentality where I'm hearing all your thoughts and you're buzzing around and I'm, you know, okay, we're lined up. We got this. We're individuals who need community, but we come up with our reality, our our thoughts are our own, and it all kind of happens in our own head. Everyone possesses a thought system that is unique, made up of our past experiences and our genetic makeup. Both of those things come together to kind of put together how we see life. Some people are more naturally, even genetically, 
optimistic. They have a lot of serotonin flowing through their brain, basically, you know. And, and then life also comes along and deals with that. Others are more naturally pessimistic. And then life comes along and you re- interpret it through that. But in every relationship, somewhere along the way, there's going to be a gap between what I expect and what actually happens, what you expect and what actually happens with everybody else in your life. There's going to be gaps. That's because of this principle of separate realities. In every relationship, there's a gap. I expected you to do this, but instead you did that. I expected you to be here at 4.30, but you didn't come till 5.30, you know? What's going on? And did you know that's true even between you and God? There's a gap between the way God thinks and the way you think. And that's why a lot of us are really struggling with God right now. He tells us that's true in the book of Isaiah. He says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high my thoughts are than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. So you don't understand God. I mean, you can't even figure out how he thinks at all. I mean, you don't understand your wife at all either, do you? So how are you going to understand God? You don't understand your husband. Some lady said to me after I was talking, he said, my husband thinks he is God. That's a whole different sermon. I'm not going into that one. Okay. But I'm talking about the principle of separate realities. And then there's the principle of trust. Trust. Trust looks for the most generous explanation to put in that gap. The most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. It's important because anytime there's more than one person involved in any endeavor, there's going to be gaps. And to really love your neighbor as you love yourself, to really love each other, you've got to put trust in the gap. Patrick Lencioni, in his book, The Advantage, he talks about what he calls the fundamental attribution error. What is that? That is when we look out at other people, we tend to attribute the gap to a character flaw. Like, he's late. Well, he's just lazy. But when we look inward at our own world, we tend to attribute the gap that others might see to external circumstances. I'm late. Traffic was horrible, right? And and so we don't give other people the same break, Lencioni says, that we give to ourselves. Well, listen to how the apostle Paul puts it. And this is going to change your relationships tremendously. Some of you, it's going to change your marriage this morning, okay? So get ready. Paul says this, love Covers. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter that we read at all the weddings. And then we forget by the time the honeymoon's over, okay? Love covers all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. 
Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters. For I saw things like a child. I reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we'll see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I will understand everything just as everything about me has been fully understood. He's talking about by God already. But until then, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. Now, when I read that first little verse there in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, it's love covers all things. Love believes all things. And you look at that and you think, well, Paul, I mean, is that really healthy? I mean, love believes all things. That would make you a little naive, right? That would make you a little gullible. Well, when you really dig into it in the original language, what Paul is doing here, he, he, in verse seven, he's taking a little Greek word that's translated all or always, and he's using it four times fast with all these other aspects of love. And basically all four of those add up to the point that he's making. Not just take one, if you take one out of context or you take one by itself, love believes all things. You think, oh, that's not good. But when you begin to understand, let's just break them down and look at it real quick and then we'll talk about that principle because this is a life changer. Love covers all things. Literally means it always protects. The word cover comes from stego, the Greek word for roof. And it's saying like a roof over a house protects from the rain. Love protects from resentments. Love protects from all of these different things, the storms of life. Listen to how Peter put it. I love 1 Peter 4, 8. He said, above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. For love will be a canopy, a canopy over a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Does it mean that you just try to cover up sins? No, what it's saying is that love comes in and does something really special. You see, James in his little book, he said the only way that you can find healing, there's only one way. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you will be healed. Well, how are you gonna confess your sins to somebody who doesn't have a safe covering over that? How are you ever gonna do that? Have you ever tried to tell someone your faults and they come back around and they blast you with it? You know, have you ever tried to say, you know, some churches are like that. They're not fun to go to. I don't know why people are there, you know. I mean, the pastor's preaching down at you and, he, and basically you just feel like I'm under like condemnation, you know, and, and, and there's no acceptance here. There's of, of even my humanity or anything else. And, and then, you know, he blasts the hide off of you. And then he says, and go in peace. Be warmed and filled and, you know, whatever. Like, no, I don't. You walk out going about this high, you know. That's not what church is to be. Love covers, it protects. And then believes all things. Literally, always trusts 
the phrase believes all things. Here's how I would translate it. If you were going to translate it into Cyprus, Texas language right now from the original Greek that it's in, love strains forward with all its might to believe the very best in every situation. Love strains forward to believe the best. And then hopes all things, literally always hopes. The Greek word for hopes depicts not only hope, but an expectation of good things. The phrase hopes all things could be taken to mean, if we were going to translate it into Cyprus lingo, love always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. Hopefully, there's just something I don't know about this gap. Hopefully, he didn't mean to. Hopefully, well, I'm not going to give up hope until proven otherwise. And then endures all things, always perseveres. Endures all. The word endure here in the Greek, it's a military word. It's, it's like the idea of you're standing on a hill with some of your fellow soldiers and the enemy has surrounded the hill on all sides and you're having your friends and comrades in arms, they're falling, they're dying all around you and it's slowly closing in on you and you hear the commander's voice, hold your ground at all costs and if necessary, die well. That's what the word is. That's, that, that's what the word is really trying to say. So when you put this all together and you have this always, 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 here's what Paul is actually saying. There is a gap between you and me. There is a gap between you and the person you're sitting next to right now. There's a gap between you and your fellow coworker, you and your boss, you and anyone that you ever meet. There's gonna be a gap at some point where their performance doesn't, Measure up to what you feel like reality should be, your expectations. I want you to fill the gap with love. I want you to fill the gap with trust. See, the crucial, often overlooked truth is we choose what goes in the gap. You say, well, Mark, I don't choose what goes in the gap. Truth chooses what goes in the gap. It's, you know, their behavior and their, I mean, it's just, oh, you, you're, you're the arbiter of all truth then, right? In your little separate reality. You understand everybody else's life. You know how they grew up and you knew what happened to them and the traumas that they faced. And you, you've got all that down, just everybody you meet right away. You, no, see, we don't know that. We, we don't understand. You don't even know that about your own spouse, I've been with so many people uh, as they've gone through counseling and other things and all of a sudden all these things come about, early traumas and stuff. And it's like, you're like, what? That changes everything. I mean, not long ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Some of you go, that explains a lot, you know? But I've had it all my life. I just didn't know it. I was smart and I didn't have the the part, you know, where you're all jittery running around and you can't sit still in school. I just, it was inside my head. Thousands of thoughts banging around. Anytime, you know, if you're sitting across from me at Starbucks at any point in my life up until now, and I'm talking to you, I've got a thousand other things hitting in my head, pinging the whole time I'm talking to you. And you say, he looks kind of glazed or something, you know? I went to a psychiatrist. 
I love this guy. He's a good Christian psychiatrist. His name is Dr. Looney. So I knew that he had to be good if he's a psychiatrist named Looney, right? And he works out at my brother's church sometimes. And, and he, you know, he did these tests on me, diagnosed. He, he started crying. It's not good when your psychiatrist starts crying about your mental health, you know? And he said, you're the worst adult ADHD person I've ever worked with. And how long have you been doing this? 35 years. That's not very encouraging, you know? But anyway, he's gotten me a lot of help. It's changed. I go back and I look over my whole life, even with Laura, and I went, ooh, Laura, I am so sorry you lived with me all those years, you know? I was trying really hard, though. I was working really hard. And Laura didn't have that to fill in the gap. But you know what? She did this anyway. She filled in the gap with good things, thank God, you know? But God has given us this tremendous God-like capacity to choose. And, and there are things that determine what you're naturally, if you don't pay attention, if you don't choose consciously, what you put in the gap. A couple of things. One, what I see. I see your behavior. I see what you're doing. And because of that, I put something in the gap. But that's not the main reason why I put something in the gap. The main thing is my experiences. See, I've had some experiences. And I will a lot of times put you in, your gap reminds me of another experience, you know? And because of that, I say, ah, that's the motive. That's bad, you know? And all of us have had that. We, we grew up, some of us had childhood trauma. And we're still putting that on, People. We, we learn some tools to, to use and our way of, you know, it's either like, okay, stay way back. You're not safe. And some people aren't safe. Don't get me wrong. But some of us will start with that or we dissociate it. We do a lot of different things. Or maybe it's even later in life. You had a bad experience with a boss and the first time your new boss starts to do anything that looks similar to that, you're like, oh, here we go again. Right? It might be a totally different thing. Or if you've been married before, once or twice or three times or whatever, and, and your new husband or wife starts to do, uh, uh, there it is again. You see, we fill the gap with something. I, I had a, a, a really good friend. I love him a lot. And he was on his third marriage, but he, he said to me after they'd been married for about six months, I didn't realize it when I married her, but she's poisoned. Can you counsel us? I'm like, what do you do with that? I mean, okay, so let's start with she's poison. I think he means can you counsel her, right? Don't you think that? And, and, and it's like another guy said, he said, I kept marrying these women and they were, seemed like good women, but I would be married six months and they would turn into witches. He didn't use witches. He used another word, sounded like witches. And as we began to talk, I was like, have you ever thought that maybe the common denominator is you? Like maybe you take good women and turn them into witches, you know? And, and I mean, that could, that could happen. Some of you have had some experience with this, I think. But <laughs> no, at least no one's going, that's you, man. 
excuse me. Um, you know, it, it's just like you're a survivor. You made it. A lot of people that would have had your life experience, they would have just curled up in a ball and died or been in a mental institution for the rest of their life or whatever. But you made it. But those childish tools that you learned to use to survive, they were good for a, a powerless child, but that's not who you are anymore. And it's time to put some new tools in your toolbox. The way that, that, that you do that is with some biblical counseling. You can't just come up with them. A lot of times when I talk to couples that are struggling, their, their tools are very childish. And there's some new tools that we've got to learn. Biblical counseling helps with that. That's why I love our counseling ministry. I've watched people's lives and marriages transformed through that. Years ago, I read a book called The One Thing You Need to Know by Marcus Buckingham. It's actually a, a leadership management book. But in there, there was a, a story that had to do with some, I mean, he was using it in a different way, but it really kind of blew my mind. He said, there was a group of researchers and they studied couples who were happily married, who had been happily married for over 10 years, at least. Some much longer, but at least 10 years. And they were looking for the common denominator. And they thought they knew what it probably was. They thought that the common denominator would be that they saw each other very realistically, you know? Well, you know, he's not, he's not really all this in this area, so I just kind of cut him some slack, or she's this. And, and so they were pretty sure that they had that figured out, and they were stunned because it was exactly the opposite. What they saw was that, like, they gave the husband a test, how good are you at this? And then they would test the wife on how good the husband was at the same things. And some of you are going like, that would be a nightmare test, right? But what they found in these happy couples that had been married 10 years plus is that they saw each other very unrealistically. In fact, let me just read you. Um, let me just read you what, what, what they said. I love the way they said it. A spouse's positive illusion, they used the word illusion, created an upward spiral of love. Now, before you think this is weird, Mark, that's just weird. Uh, it's what you did when you first fell in love, right? I mean, your friends all said, he's a control freak. And you said, no, he's just protective. You might have changed your mind by now, but he's a workaholic. No, he's just a really hard worker. He's angry. He's an angry person. He's passionate, really passionate. He's lazy. No, he's just laid back and easygoing, you know? He's weird. No, he's just eccentric. He's a perfectionist. No, he's just meticulous. How are you feeling about that now? You see, you had an illusion but here's the thing, the advice from this study, and this is, again, I love, I'm gonna read you just the way they put it. It said, find the most generous explanation. This is the mental part. Find, come up with, be creative. Some of you are gonna have to be really creative, all right? Find the most generous explanation for the other's behavior, and now get this, then believe it. That's what they said, this team of expert psychologists. Let me give you an example from happy marriages. You ready? He's a pretty direct person. 
And since this is my second marriage, I'm a bit jumpy. But what I've seen is that what's in his heart for me is really good. And when something comes out of his mouth that's kind of sharp, it can still hurt, but I know he doesn't mean for it to, so it doesn't hurt for very long. Here's another one. We're happy because I simply don't question his motives. I may disagree completely with how he handled something. I think he's totally wrong and I'm right, but I don't question his actual motives. That's a lot different than she's poison, right? Here's another one. I was so mad, I was expecting her to be in my corner, and she disagreed with me instead. But I forced myself to think about it, and three minutes later, I realized, you know what? She's right. The reason I could take it from her is that I know that her heart for me is good. She can say anything to me because of that. See, to believe your spouse has your best interest at heart takes practice. But over time, it can become the default position. And what they're saying, these researchers, in every relationship, even the closest one, marriage, at some point, all of a sudden, there's a gap between what I expect and what happens out there, the behavior of the other person. I'm looking at this gap. Love says, you know what, before I jump to conclusions, what are some other possibilities? Love looks for a generous explanation. Some of you, when the other person screws up, <laughs> I've been waiting for that. I was, I was just waiting for that. I knew that was going to happen. You know, I knew that you were going to mess up and I am right and you are wrong. I told one guy, I said, you've been right a lot lately and you're going to be the most right, most lonely person in the world. And that's not going to feel real great, okay, to prove you're right all the time. You see, what happens when we go negative, what it communicates is this. No matter what you do, no matter what you do, you will never measure up. It puts them on a performance-based thing. You're never going to measure up. There's a gap, and you never measure up in that gap. And so either overtly or Covertly, you, you communicate that in your relationship and you're pushing each other away. One of the most powerful things you can do when you choose to believe the best, even if there's a pattern of a person not being everything you think they should be, when you choose to believe the best, you come up with a generous explanation and choose to believe it. It creates margin in the relationship. Healthy people respond to margin, and move towards you. See, God made all of us to be kind of like acceptance magnets. When you find someone that just loves you for who you are, I mean, you're just drawn to them. You can't help it. That's why we're pulled to him when we really understand how much he loves us. He loves us so much. And some of you got some old tapes you're playing about God that like, you know, you fall on your face and, and he's going, ha, ha. Sinner, I knew you were going to be down there. Let me stomp on you for a minute. That's not what he does. He wants to pick you up and dust you off. Say, come on, little girl, you, we can do this. We can make this. Come on, son. It's not over. It's not over. So 
How does that sound in, in real life? Again, let, let's, just, let's just take marriage. Honey, I'm running late. And the husband says, that's okay, babe. You just take your time. I'll be here waiting. What would you do if your husband did that? Who stole my husband and replaced him with a pod person or something, right? And, and, and what, what, what's the deal with that? All of a sudden, you've created margin. Your husband says, honey, I forgot to pay that bill. You know, I forgot. I just forgot. That's why the lights are off. I forgot. Ha! I knew you were going to forget to pay it. You always forget to pay it. My dad said that you were an emotional financial imbecile, and he was right. How does that feel? Or what if you say, that's okay, baby. We'll figure it out. You've been really busy lately. You've had so much going on. You're ADHD. <laughs> I haven't had experience with that, but I... You know what that is? That's come my way. Move my way. Come my way. I I'm going to use this gap to leverage love. And I'm going to bring you closer to me. And the more gaps there are, the more chances you have to leverage love. I love you. I love you just like you are. Or when you measure up to here, I'll love you. When you get up, come on, get your act together, buddy boy, and I'll love you. When you do these things, I have a list. I haven't shown them to you, so you're a little disadvantaged. But when you do that, I'll love you. Suspicion is an expression of rejection. You know what we do in relationships when we feel rejected? Move away. Close down. You know, I'll talk to husbands sometimes, and they said, my wife is just not open to me. See, God made marriage so that your wife just opens up to you like a, a beautiful flower. And, and you're just, you're, you're so careful about that. But that's not what you've been. No wonder she's all closed up. It's not safe to open up to you. We see it with our kids all the time. You know, I always tell parents, I said, hey, kids are gonna come to a time. Sometime, some come to it really early. Seems like some come to it out of the womb. You know, they come out of the womb chomping on cigars. I dare you to make me do anything, right? Some of you got that kid, right? And then some of you got the compliant kid that's like, oh, mom, dad, whatever you want. I would love to do that. And if that's the only kid, those are the parents I hate. They had one kid and it was the compliant kid. Because if you'd had two kids, you would have got the cigar chomping kid. And then you would have known what the rest of us are going through sometimes, you know? So give other parents a break. But you, you're just, with your kids, keep the relationship. No matter, they might shock you. Might, you know, I don't know where they are. That doesn't mean that you approve. That doesn't mean that you can't discipline. That doesn't, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about keeping the relationship, not I don't approve of you as a person. That's just gonna drive them away. Because in all of our kids' lives, they're gonna make a ton of mistakes like you did, right? That's some of you are going like, I know I don't want them to do that. I'm trying to keep them from doing what I did. 
And they're as hard-headed as you, and they're going to have to do that too, all right? And God loves us anyway, right? How many of you ran from God and ran from God and ran from God and ran from God? And then when you turned around, you found out he's still right there going, I'm here. Come home. He didn't go like, well, I'm sick of you running. You just go on running. You can go to hell and fry like a taco shell. You hear God saying that? Because you just ran and I'm tired of chasing you. That's not what he does, is it? He's amazing. Listen to what John, who knew about God's love so much, he said in John, 1 John 4, 16, we've come into an intimate experience with God's love and we trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Are you fearing the day of judgment? If you're a believer and you're full out for God, you don't have to fear the day of judgment. It's gonna be a sweet time with you and Jesus. But you see, we fear it because we, we're, we're thinking, I'm on a performance-based thing with God and you know he's looking at my performance and I never measure up and he's not. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to perform for him. He just loves you as you are, where you are. You say, well, Mark, if you could see me, I'm face down in the mud. That's what Bree was saying. She was saying, man, my life didn't go like I thought it was gonna go at all. And God said, little Bree, come on, get up. We got this. I got a good plan for you. Let's, let's get you cleaned up a little bit. Come on, let's move. And that changes everything when you understand that's what God is like. He goes on to say that you can say in this same passage, I love God, but if you hate your brother or your sister, you don't even know what love is. You don't love God because God's love. His love isn't like that. God loves you so much. I don't want you to lift your hand right now because some of you are in a place where it doesn't feel like God loves you. And so I don't want to embarrass you, okay? That's okay. God still loves you. But maybe the circumstances of life don't feel like that right now. It feels like he's a million miles away that he doesn't care. I'm an agnostic because God doesn't care. I'm so mad at him. I'm an atheist. I'm so mad at God. Well, you're not mad at God if you're an atheist, right? Because he's not there. But it, it, it's, it's like you're, you're feeling all these feelings. But how many of you in your mind, you would just lift your hand and say, I believe God loves me full out. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I always used to think of that as a performance-based thing, but that wasn't what he was saying. When you look at the construction in the original language, it's saying, when you fall head over heels in love with me and you realize I'm head over heels in love with you, you're just gonna wanna keep my commandments because you're gonna realize what I'm saying is, hey, little girl, don't go play in the street. You see, when it comes to sex, He's saying, I want to show you, I want you to have the most amazing, lasting love relationship. I, I, I don't want you just to have casual sex like the world does. Don't play in the street. And see, the devil comes and he goes, God's trying to, you know, rip you off. He's trying to keep you from, you know, having all these experiences and blah, 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 like he did with Adam and Eve way back at the beginning. 
Does God really love you? No, if he loved you, he'd let you eat this apple, you know? So you'd know good and evil. So here's the thing. God loves you. So you know if you love him, are you obeying him? I'll ask you just a quick one, like what Bree just talked about. Have you been baptized? That was the first thing that he said to do, be baptized. We're baptizing today. You can go out there and get baptized. We're ready for you. We've, got, we've even got clothes for you. We've got everything you could ever want. We've got, we're baptizing outside in our big pool because it's got these, these big industrial, you know, variant cleaners on it. The guys are gonna wear masks, you know, just for you. It's like a surgical baptism. But have you been baptized? Some of you, I was baptized as a baby. Well, that's amazing. I love that story. That was the priest and your parents going, I'm gonna raise this kid up in the church. But in the New Testament, every baptism was an adult or, or at least a, a, a teenager or a child that knew enough to say, I want this for myself. So it's time to bring it full circle and be baptized. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Baptism doesn't make any sense to me. I know, because his thoughts are higher than your thoughts, right? There's a gap. What are you putting in the gap? God wants to embarrass me. I have to show my legs. God wants to, you know, make me look like a fool. That's not what he's doing. I don't know, have any idea why he said be baptized. If he had told you to climb Mount Everest, you would do it. And you won't dip underwater. See, when you go out there and, and, and what they're gonna do is they're just gonna say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, take you down, depending on who you are. Sometimes we need to sing a few hymns while you're down there. No, we don't really. It's just all of us are the same and pull you back up and say, raised to walk in a brand new life. Peter said, repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. Does that mean that you have to be baptized to be saved? No. But what he's saying is repent. That word was a common word in Jesus' day. It wasn't like someone frothing, going like, repent. You might've been in those churches, right? Repent. Remember taco shell? Get a bird, get a frog. No, that's not what, it just meant like you say, I think I'm gonna go this way. And your friend is saying, well, let's go this way. No, I'm gonna go this way. You know what? I repent. I'm gonna go your way. That was simple. I changed my mind. I'm moving in a different direction. I'm gonna do what, what you said. So say, God, I'm following you full out. Some of you, it might be just the fact that you haven't been baptized yet that's holding back a lot of the power for you because he just wants you to be obedient. How hard is it? You say, well, let me think about it. Why? See, I'm not asking you to do drugs today, all right? It's not like I'm trying to talk you into doing drugs. I'm just talking to you about God says, get baptized. Well, I'm not gonna do it. Then you don't really understand his love for you yet, right? I mean, I don't know how else to put it as your pastor, because I love you with all my heart. I'm not, you know, we don't count baptisms and turn them in somewhere and go, we're trying to get some count, you know? This is just between you and him. So you do what you do. But I'm telling you, he loves you. He loves you. Why wouldn't you want to do what he says to do? There's some reason why he says to do it. I think you'll come out of the water and you'll be like, oh my gosh, why did I wait so long? We've got to choose some things. Paul says, 
I know it sounds extreme. I know it doesn't even sound practical. But even in the most difficult gap, I want you to bend, bend toward love. Find the most generous explanation. You say, well, Mark, but what about, you know, what if you're married to like a, a, a narcissist and you didn't know it? What, what, if, what if you had childhood trauma and you didn't recognize the predator you married, you know? Well, Jesus gives some real clear instructions for that. He says, you put love in the gap, you put love in the gap, put love in the gap. And then if over and over and over and over, that's not working, you confront And Jesus in Matthew 18, he has a whole list. Jesus doesn't usually do lists. He usually talked in stories. But in Matthew 18, he says, do these things to confront. And some of you are going like, well, I'm not, I I don't like confrontation. Well, thank God, you know. Did you know that 92% of us hate confrontation? That's not a bad thing. Have you ever met one of the other 8%? Don't you just love them? I love confrontation. If you're one of those, whoa, slow down, dudes. The fact that you hate it, that's great. He says, first go to the person. Then Jesus says, then go to the leadership of the church. We do that in our counseling ministry. You grab hold of them and take them to counseling with you. And you try to work it out. And then the counselors are gonna help you know. Run, you know? Or let's see what we can do with some new tools. And That's what Jesus taught. But here's what I want you to do. Some of you, you have a lot to think about right now, but I'm telling you, this is a life changer. This is a relationship changer. I want you to think about doing a trust commitment. Just these things. Here's what a trust commitment looks like. When there's a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I'm going to fill it with trust. I'm going to fill it with the most generous explanation. And I'm going to keep doing that until I just can't do that anymore. In fact, when I see and I observe other people filling the gap with suspicion, I will come to your defense and fill it with love. See, what we don't like to confront, we like to gossip. And some of you, even with your own marriage, you're saying, to your girlfriends or your guy friends, like, uh, she's poison or, you know. I'll talk about her. Talk to her. Talk to him first. If that doesn't work, then say, hey, can we go to counseling and see where that goes? If that doesn't work, you go to counseling and let them give you some advice in what to do next and some guidance in how to do that, okay? And then if what I experience begins to erode my trust, and I just keep trying and it keeps eroding, I will come directly to you about it. Maybe you'll hear somebody, you know, this week talk about the pastor, you know. Well, then you grab that person and say, let's go talk to the pastor. You're going to freak them out, okay? But I'm available for that. You and the pastor need to go get some counseling. That's fine. Go to Dr. Looney. We got some amazing counselors right here. I want you just to close your eyes with me. This message has changed my life through the years. It's changed. Laura and I wouldn't be married today 
if she hadn't done this with me, with my ADHD. I'm just telling you. Some of you right now, you need to go get baptized. In fact, while we got our eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you to just stand up and head on out there. They're right out in the lobby. They got clothes for you. If anybody's trying to sneak out early, don't do that because they're gonna like put a hood over your head, throw you in a van, and you'll end up at the baptism pool, you know? No, it won't be like that. But go on, go ahead and get up right now. Yeah, I see you. Head out, proud of you. Come on. I didn't come prepared to be baptized today. I'm afraid my skin's gonna get ashy. Yeah, good, get up, proud of you. It's hard, it's really hard. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe he's good? He's so good. I wish I could just share with you all my experiences about how good he is. So proud of y'all, so proud of you. My mom got baptized as a pastor's wife. Did you know that? She realized she didn't know God really completely when she got married even to my dad. And over the years, she stepped into it and he'd been a pastor for 20 years and she had to go get baptized. That was humbling. It was good. It's the best thing she ever did, she said. The rest of us, I love you so much. What I talked about today will change you if you'll put it into play, put it into practice. Let's just ask God to help us do that. God, you've heard this today. Some of us, this has been our big struggle so quickly to put in the gap suspicion, which feels like rejection, which feels like performance-based acceptance. And our kids are struggling and our marriage is struggling and our employees are struggling, and our friends are struggling. God, let this be the day that I begin to do like you have done for me. You loved me first. You loved me in spite of. You love me now, no matter what. Enable me to do that too. In Jesus' name, amen.